our notes, uh, I made a, we got to about page six or so, and uh, <clears throat> I want to start there where it talks about uh, what is the goal, uh, the mind of Christ is literally uh, to be the goal that we are supposed to have. I want you to turn back with me for a moment to Genesis chapter 1, and let's look in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And uh, <clears throat> uh, while you're turning there, uh, I did write a blog. I don't normally post them on our church uh, Facebook page, but I did uh, post one. I wrote one on Monday uh, <clears throat> about Brother Clark. Uh, my mind has kind of been toward him for the last uh, several weeks. And uh, just wrote some observations that I had during that time, 2006, 2000, 2005, 2006. And so go back and read that. Maybe it'll be an encouragement uh, to you uh, because I want us to have another revival in our church like we had in 2005, 2006. And uh, I did mention some revivals that, that we had had whenever I was a kid. And... Uh, so if you're interested, go back and read that. Genesis chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 26, the Bible says there, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, created he, him, male and female, created he, them. And so you look at that, and there is literally uh, a part where that uh, we see that, that man was literally created uh, in the image of God. And when you look at the Old Testament, prior to the fall, uh, the Bible tells us that, uh, that Adam and Eve were, were literally, were indeed like God. And then all of that was severed after the fall took place. Now I want you to turn over a page and I want you to look in Genesis uh, chapter 3. And I want you to look in verse 22. <clears throat> the Bible says there, verse 22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us. And uh, God was speaking there. You can look to Psalm 82 where he was talking about that there are supernatural beings. Uh, there are angels. There are demons. Uh, there is Jehovah, God, monotheistic, one God. And yet, here's what he's saying. He's saying, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now, I want you to think about that. And then what did God do? Verse 23, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. 
And so he drove out man, drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, the reason I read that scripture to you here tonight, you know that they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Well, there were two trees that was in the garden. There was also the tree of life that was there. And so the, here's what the Lord said. The Lord said, if we don't put them out of the garden, then they're going to eat of the tree of life and they will be doomed eternally and there will not be any remedy. They'll be locked in, sort of like the devil is. And so in God's grace and mercy, already in action here in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden so that they do not have access to that tree of life. Now, I do, and this is a, I don't want to get on a big rabbit trail, but uh, in the New Jerusalem, the Bible speaks of a tree there that is for the healing of the nations. Everything that you see in the book of Genesis, it ultimately is fulfilled in the book of Revelation. And it talks about that tree in the New Jerusalem is going to be for the healing of the nations. I believe that those two trees are related. I don't know how they're all, uh, the, you know, the details and all that sort, but, but here's what I want to get across to you, that once Adam fell, from that moment on, there is very little attention that is given to man and saying that man is created as he is created in the image of God, but there's very little time that's spent in the Old Testament where that it begins to talk about Adam and Eve being in the image of God. In fact, whenever you start looking at the Old Testament, it seems to indicate it shows us that there is a vast difference between us and God. Why don't you turn to Isaiah 55? You've, uh, you know this verse, but you may not recognize the, uh, the reference. But look with me to Isaiah chapter 55, and I want to read verses 8 and 9. Isaiah chapter 55 and verses 8 and 9. You know this verse, but you probably don't remember the reference. But here's what it says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So there is a very obvious difference that after the fall of man, that man is no longer that like God. Turn over a couple of pages to chapter 64 and look at Isaiah chapter 64 and look with me to verse 8. The Bible says, Isaiah 64 and 8, But now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou art the potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. And so again, we see that there is an incredible difference that is between us and God that took place after the fall. Now, that changed whenever the cross took place. Whenever Jesus Christ died on the cross, that took place. Now, I want to read some scriptures here that uh, speaks of the incarnation when God became a man 
Hebrews chapter chapter 2 and verse 14. And if you have the notes there, uh, you may see out there where it says NASB 95. Uh, That just means New American Standard Bible, the 95 version. I don't know if you're aware, but some of the newer New American Standard, the English Standard Version, uh, the NIV, they periodically go through uh, Bible scholars will sit down and take a look and sometimes uh, they will clarify things and sometimes they make uh, the, the translation even tighter uh, than what it perhaps is. And I, you know, we're mostly King James and so because we're King James, we've been around since 1611, uh, you don't see that. But I do read occasionally uh, newer translations, but the 95, New American Standard 95, Hebrews 2.14 says, Therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And then skipping down to verse 17, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make a propitiation or a substitution or an atonement for the sins of the people. And then after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the New Testament epistles begins to emphasize this matter of us again becoming like God. Look in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 24. Now this verse is from the New International Version, uh, the 84, uh, and I am not a big fan of the, especially the the T-N-I-V, which is rendered everything gender, gender neutral, and that's just the effect, impact of liberal scholars at work. And so you have to be careful uh, with the TNIV that was put out, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or so. But the NIV 84 uh, says it like this, Ephesians 4, 24, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Notice where that it speaks of right there, it's saying if the mind of Christ is the goal that we have, what, are, what is the goal for my life and for your life? It is to live in righteousness and in holiness. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge in the image of its creator. So after the, after the cross, after the resurrection, then you start seeing a lot of New Testament passages that starts moving us back into that direction that says you need to pursue and to be like God. Now, how do we operate like that? Well, we know that Jesus Christ uh, was God literally in flesh. He was the God-man. So if I want to see what God looks like in operation here in this earth, all I have to do is to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I start understanding if that is the way that the Spirit is operating and working inside my heart, then I need to be like the Lord. Sunday night I did mention uh, to you what uh, the Bible says. Uh, I think it's in Matthew, be ye perfect as I am perfect. That is 
a goal for us to pursue after and for us to, to seek after. Uh, now, there are some descriptions of the mind that you can find in uh, the New Testament that can help us to see where, where I need to go, where you need to go as uh, you're, you're in your own personal spiritual growth. Uh, I'm seeing some fanning. I forgot to turn on the air conditioner. Uh, I didn't forget to turn it on. I just, I'm saving money. So, <laughs> y'all, turn on AC. Uh, so let's look. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. And uh, I, this was the text I preached from this past Sunday night. And I don't want to rehearse that, but I do want to just emphasize for it to be carnally minded is death. It's not like death. It's not going to lead you to death. Paul says a carnal mind is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So whenever you start looking at your mind that is to be changed, what are you supposed to have? You are to be filled with life. That means that there is a change of life. And so if somebody still has that same behavior, those same traits that they have prior to their conversion, if they're still acting like that, they haven't been converted. They can argue all they want to argue, but they have not been converted. It's important that every one of us be born again. And I would just say this, you can tell, well, how do I know that I have been born again? What's your appetite for the word? What's your appetite for prayer? What is your desire to fulfill the word of God? If those, and those are just three areas, if there's no interest that we have in that, I would say they're a lost man. And I did mention that Sunday night. We don't like to use that part about false conversions, but Pentecostal churches have people that have that are false converts. They, they do not have the Holy Ghost. They have not been born again. Matthew 13, tares among the wheat. Bible talks about that. We've got to make sure, as Peter said, to make our calling and our election sure. And so it's important. Y'all, this week, the World Economic Forum is moving forward. One of the big conversations that they're having is about cryptocurrency. Y'all know that's digital money. That means that all physical forms of money, paper money, coins, those sorts of things, within a period of time, that's going to be worthless and we're going to be operating under a system of cryptocurrency and President Xi, uh, the Chinese uh, prime minister, president, whatever he is, he said this is one earth and we need to come together as one common humanity. We are moving in the direction of a one world government. If you ever needed to be awake and spiritually alive, it's now. The rapture is upon us. The end is near. And we used to laugh at people that would stand up and have those sandwich billboards on and say the end is coming. I'm telling you, it's coming. And it is crucial 
that if I could flip this switch right now and say, okay, we're going to have a test run on the rapture, I'd love to do that. I'd love to get us all in here Sunday night and flip the switch and say we're fixing to do a test run. Like you remember we used to do fire drills when you were in school? I wish we could do a test run on the rapture and we could see everybody that's ready and we could see everybody that's not ready. Contemplate and think about that. Are you ready? And so there's got to be a change of life. There's got to be a different attitude towards sin. There's got to be an awareness of holiness and a lack of holiness. There's got to be a sorrow for sin, not regret over sin. That was Esau's problem. Esau was not godly sorrowful. He regretted the things that he did, but he was not sorrow, sorrowful for those, a choice of being a spiritual man over a fleshly man, a thought life that's not controlled by the world, a mind that is not controlled by every piece of information uh, that comes its way, a mind that is about the Father's business. Now think about this. Jesus at 12 years old, he got lost in the temple when they found him. What did he say to his mother? He said, I i got to be about my father's business. 18 years later, he did move in and start working and being about his father's business. And so there was a focus. Now, obviously, Jesus was God, but there needs to be that part about us that says that we are about our father's business. We reject the temptations of the devil. Abundant life overrules the flesh and says, you know what? If it's crying out for satisfaction, there's an abundant life that I can have that says that I don't need to live in the trappings of my old flesh and my old man. Another thing that we find is that our mind shouldn't be only filled with life. Our mind should be filled with peace. A mind that is at rest has peace in God. Now, I want you to think for a moment. Is your mind ever quiet? Is there ever a time when your mind is quiet? It's important that we have minds that are quiet instead of our minds constantly being filled with voices and being filled with imaginations and being filled with things that tries to insert itself in our hearts and our spirits. And again, I mentioned a, a book to you last um, Wednesday night or two Wednesday nights ago Neil Anderson wrote that book called The Bondage Breaker and he was talking about people that, uh, that they get into situations where that they become obsessed with things and he talked about he said that whenever the spirit of God really truly delivers us that there ought to be a part where our mind can rest in the confidence and trust that we have in the work of the Spirit. So Paul was speaking of that. He was saying peace is a fruit. It's not an attainment. Our work is set, our work is to set our mind and let our mind deal in a place of peace. Now again, I, I mentioned that, that the World Economic Forum is moving. We are moving, I believe, toward uh, the, this thing is winding up and yet there shouldn't be a part where that we are so full of fear 
and anxiety and worry. We need to put our confidence and trust in the Lord because here's the thing, none of us can save ourselves. Our dependence is absolutely on the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we know how this thing's gonna turn out, if we know that at the end, ultimately, and we read that in the book of Revelation, we know that the beast we know that that old serpent, the devil, is going to be cast into a lake of fire. We know how the end turns out. Well, if we know how the end is going to turn out, then we have to rest our minds in a place. And, and, and again, I, I, I do have concerns. I hope you have concerns. There are some things that I uh, am concerned that is going to churches are going to be facing uh, sometime in the near future. Uh, that church as we know it may be totally changed. And my mind is concerned somewhat about that. At the same time, I know this. We've got to walk in this direction. And we've got to keep in mind what Daniel said. They that do know their God will do exploits. And God is going to use us in an incredible way in this last hour, in this last days. But we've got to be keyed in with that. There is also a part where that we can be filled with peace, which means there's a freedom from sin. We can rest from the ravages of the world system. It's a rest that is promised to the weary and to the burden. It is a rest that comes from taking his yoke, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Now, some of that, if your mind is going to be filled with peace, I may jump the gun here just a little bit, but if your mind is going to be filled with peace, you're going to have to make some conscious choices to fill your mind with peace. And a lot of things that we have that distract us creates a lack of peace in our hearts. When I was growing up, uh, this would have been before I was driving, so it would have been somewhere 70 Six, seven, eight. I started driving in 1982. And uh, when my mom and dad would get home uh, in the evening, my mother would cook. Uh, there was not a lot of coming and going. Uh, we did not have a television. Uh, we, had, we had books that we read. Uh, we frequently went to the library. Uh, but we had a big stereo, an old, it was a big cabinet stereo that was sitting in uh, the living room. I still remember it's like you raise up this wooden latch deal or latch or wooden top and you raise it up and down inside is a record player and a eight track tape deck and a little deal where you turn and you tune in the FM or the AM radio. Well, WGEA was a gospel radio star. I was a radio station during the daytime. I don't know what they played in the daytime, but every day... Uh, starting at 5 o'clock p.m., uh, I think it was Brother Dennis. Brother Dennis, WGEA, Geneva, Alabama, they would play nothing but Southern gospel from 5 o'clock p.m. until 10 o'clock p.m. And my mother would get home from work and she would turn on that radio and we would listen to Southern. We kind of turned down low. It was not loud. But Southern gospel music would play from 5 o'clock until 10 o'clock. At 10 o'clock, Brother Tony McCullough, who pastored an Assembly of God church out in the stick somewhere, would come on and he would preach from 10 o'clock 
until 10.30. Now, we were supposed to be in the bed, but I had a little transistor radio with a little small white, it was nothing like we have now, and I would tune in and I'd listen to Brother Tony preach, and then about 10.28, they'd shut him off and they'd play the Star Spangled Banner and Brother Dennis would come on there and he'd say, we're shutting down until six o'clock in the morning. And, and that atmosphere was what I grew up in. There was not chaos in the home where I grew up at. It was quiet, it was calm, it was peaceful. Our world hardly knows what it's like for that kind of stuff to exist now. So if you're gonna have that in your home, if I'm gonna have that in my home, it's going to be because I make a choice to say this is what I'm going to do. Now, we've got tons of resources that they didn't have available to them in the 70s and the 80s that we have available to us now. Most of you's got a smartphone. If you're plugged into iTunes, Apple Music, um, and I, you know, this is you do whatever you want to do, but this is, I guess I'm at midlife and I'm trying to get back to some of where I was at, okay? Uh, but in the late 80s, early 90s, Integrity Music come out with a lot of instrumentals and uh, they would have little cassette tapes and that was finally the part where cassette tapes would play all the way through and it would flip over and play side two and then it would keep, and it would just play all the way through. And they had one called Peace. They had another one called Love. They had another one called Grace. And a lot of it was just old hymns. It was just instrumental. I found those uh, several months ago. And, and what they do is they can create an atmosphere. Now, if you don't like that kind of stuff, there's praise and worship that you can do. There's things that you can do to get to help you. And some of it is, is shutting off the news and shutting off all these voices that are trying to come in and cause great panic to get into our minds. And Paul was saying that to be spiritually minded is peace. Another thing that we see uh, about our minds, and these are just biblical things that talks about uh, your mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So what's Paul saying? Paul is saying your mind can be deceived by the devil and by his subtlety and you can be corrupted when you move away from the simplicity of Christ. So whenever my mind is resting on the simplicity of Christ, what does that mean? That means that I am single-minded. That means that there is a huge amount of distractions that I have to somehow say I've got to get those distractions out of my mind and my spirit and focus in and to think about the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, Paul, what else Paul says? If you're single-minded, you understand what it's like to have a disciplined attention. Now, what does it mean whenever our mind is disciplined? Uh, here's where that you can figure out if you've got a disciplined mind. I wish Ja'Cory uh, was here tonight. I'm proud of Ja'Cory. Uh, he's taken 
I think he's taking microbiology right now. He's taking all his prereqs leading up. He's going to try to get into the uh, radiology program in the fall. Uh, but he's talked to me about some of the classes that he has taken. And here, I'm afraid, sometimes is a difference between a spiritual atmosphere and a secular atmosphere, and that's this. If you're paying $1,500 to take a class, and that college professor is, is lecturing, and they're using PowerPoint and notes, and, and you've got a textbook and all this other stuff that they're talking to you about, if you are sitting in that classroom and you are a mature student, then here's what happens. When your mind starts to wander and you want to think about football or you want to think about shopping or think about some relationship that you have, and, and it's not necessarily a part that you could say, well, that's a sinful thought. It's just a distracting thought. If you're paying $1,500 to take that class and you know that you're going to have to take some state boards and pass on that material that that instructor or professor is offering to you, here's what you do. You get your mind focused back in and you say, I've got to think about that later on. But it's, it's sad that we come to church and when we get to church, we don't treat church with the same focus that we would treat a secular classroom. So if y'all have ever heard Brother Davidson sing that song about Joe's gone to Six Flags, every Sunday there's people fishing, they're golfing, they're shopping, they're at Disney World, they're at Six Flags, they're driving fast cars or eating in nice restaurants but you can't see that because they're sitting there and here's the part. And again, I'm not the greatest preacher in the world. I've, I know that. When I was younger, I thought I might be the second greatest preacher in the world. But I've come to realize I'm not the greatest preacher in the world. However, I will tell you this. I am a biblical preacher. And whenever you preach the word, that there's times where that you can and here's something that, that, I, that I, maybe this will help you, maybe it won't. I don't want to come across as, as bragging or boastful, but I'll tell you this. When I'm sitting over there on the front and Brother Patterson is teaching through the book of Hebrews or these young men are preaching, it's, it's, it's rare that they're going to come across something that I don't already know. Y'all okay? Maybe I shouldn't have said it quite like that. Okay? But I could easily let my mind run off and say, oh, Brother Patterson, he's, just, he's, he's not talking to me, he's talking to them. But every one of these young men, and even the old men, they're, they're preaching to me. They're not preaching to Brother Johnny and Sister Mary and the, the champions and Sister Sanders and the Kovacs and all the rest of y'all. You know, y'all are here, I'm glad you're here, but Brother Patterson's not talking to y'all. It's talking to me. And it's important that I harness my mind in and say, these men, they are trying to help me to get to heaven. Now, let's go to song service. Does your mind wander sometimes while you're singing? Does your mind wander while you're praying sometimes? There's got to be a part where that you say, okay, my mind needs to be single-minded. 
I'm going to show you a trick here in just a few minutes. A trick, that's a bad word to use, but I'm going to show you something here in just a minute that maybe may, may help you. So move past those, those distractions. Your mind has a purpose to it. And what needs to happen is we need to make sure that we don't let our mind move off despite the challenges that we're being faced with. And it completes the task being single-minded when we're called to fulfill so that nothing deflects me from the purpose of God. And so whenever I look at that, here's something else that it says about our minds. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife and vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. That speaks of our relationship not only with God, but also with others. And so our mind is to be lowly and humble. If you have a humbleness and lowliness of mind, I'm going to tell you something, there's gratitude that will come out of your heart and your spirit. Sunday morning, Sunday night, I told the Lord, Lord, thank God I can feel your spirit. I'm thankful for that. And I, I pray that there's also some private prayer meetings that you are investing your time in. And when you get done praying, the part of that, when you're finishing up, is that you say, God, thank you for helping me to be involved in this prayer meeting. I know you've heard my voice. I know there's a concern that you have for me. So when you start thinking about, okay, how do we have a lowliness of mind? Meditate on the attributes of God, and when you think about the attributes of God, it brings greater light to our place and God's place. And when you start thinking about the attributes of God, and God's attribute, his, his number one attribute is holiness. The Bible says more about the holiness of God than any other attribute in the Bible. But there's other attributes that God has. The attribute of love. We, all know, we know about omniscience. We know about omnipotence. Uh, we know about God's omnipresence. We know about God's justice. We know about God's immutability. That means he doesn't change. Those are all of God's attributes. So whenever I start thinking about the fact that God is unchanging, what can that cause me to do? Is every promise in the book is mine. And I look at the promises of the Lord and I realize he's not going to change. He's not going to say, here you go. No, you can't have it. Here you can. No, he's not going to do like that. That there are things that we see in the word of the Lord, the promises that God has given to us that we say, I can build my life on that. Here's another one that's important, Titus 1.15. <coughs> Our mind is to be pure. Titus 1.15, unto the pure all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Purity of mind should be a natural state for a saint of God while impurity is always brought about by an exposure to corruption. Have you ever come in contact with somebody who always felt like that somebody was out to get them? Somebody trying to take money away from me? Somebody's trying to get the better of me? Somebody's trying to do me in? 
generally speaking, when you run into a person like that, that person does not have a pure mind. Now, on the other hand, <laughs> if you've got a pure mind, be sure that you're not naive and you're so trusting that everybody just takes advantage of you. Now, probably, you know, most people, when I come in contact with them, my first impression of them, I'm going to trust them. I'm going to believe what they're telling me. And a few times you get burned in that way. But here's what, here's what Paul's writing to Titus. He said, unto the pure, all things are pure. So when I come in contact with people, I don't think Brother Abersole's out to get me. I think Brother Abersole's interested in my, in my health and welfare. He's wanting to help me. And so that's where that we have to realize it's important for a saint of God to have purity of mind. Purity of mind means that you're spirit-filled. Purity of mind means that you guard the senses with, your, with boundaries that keeps us from seeing, hearing, and inviting sin into our lives. I'm going to plug this again for you. I sent the link yesterday to Brother Paul and Sister Regina, revelationmedia.com. You need to go to revelationmedia.com and you need to watch the animated Pilgrim's Progress. And throw that out there again. Revelationmedia.com and you need to watch the animated version of the Pilgrim's Progress. If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, it's a it's a I mean it's a challenge to read it. But this they is is two hours long, and I've watched it a couple of times, and it is a very moving experience as you start seeing the way that they have talked about Christian leaving the city of destruction to get to the celestial city. And he meets all sorts of people. Now, I don't know if my mom and dad remembers Willie and Matilda Barlow used to come to our church. Y'all remember them? Willie, Willie and Matilda Barlow. Brother Patterson, you remember William Matilda Barlow? Well, <laughs> they 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 remember William Matilda Barlow. That's a fictitious name, and I want to make a point here, okay? And I kind of hinted at that if you read that blog that I wrote. One of the things about growing up here is, of course, at the time when I was a kid, I had no clue all this was going on. Brother Patterson filled in the details for me. And we got a wonderful church of saints. But y'all do realize that periodically devils get in and come in in the church, don't you? And, and, and Brother Patterson, in his course, had to deal with Willie and Matilda Barlow. And I think Willie and Matilda, both of them had devils. And when I, was, when I was on my long haul last week, a lot of the distance I just rode, just praying and thinking and, and just asking the Lord, Lord, help me to be what I need to be. And, and you, some of you may not have heard Brother Patterson tell this story, but Brother Patterson was having some problems. It was in the old house, uh, 1710 Cottonwood Road. There was an old house that used to sit out there near where the light pole was at. 
And Brother Patterson was having some awful, was having an awful time with some situations in the church. And he was, one Sunday afternoon, he was taking a nap and he was sitting in, kind of leaning back in the bed and had a couple pillows behind his head. And all of a sudden, just in his prayer, God help me, you gotta let me see what's going on. The Lord just kind of, on the wall, just moves it apart, and there's just this giant video screen that's on the wall. And he's preaching, and and the sanctuary was laid out. It was like in the living room, and we had knocked some, they had knocked some walls out. I had been there, and I got this right here. I got hauled in. I busted my head open right here, and that got messed up out there, and then I busted my lip. That's why I wanted to work in the hospital whenever I was graduating high school. But anyway, a lot of injuries that I had <laughs> at the old church. But anyways, Brother Patterson said that in that we were there in that long, narrow spot, and the pulpit was an old plywood pulpit. And Brother Patterson said that that he was preaching, and the building, you know, the little room was full where we had church, and all of a sudden. There, the back window, and it was a door like you turn, and it's got it's a wooden door, and it's got windows up above it. It's got three pane windows up above, and got the little slats in the part. Well, all of a sudden, the window bust open, and inside there's this long gorilla arm that reaches in and undoes the deal. And Brother Patterson walks back there, and he's got an axe. And he cuts that arm off and he said, staring him right there in the face with somebody. And he said, we're not going to have that spirit in this church. And so we're in a spiritual battle. And those spirits was on Willie and Matilda Barlow. But here's what happened when I was riding. Just all this voice, face, and it, it started back then when I was a kid, and I just, the Lord just started revealing this one and this one and this one, and we started moving closer and closer and closer to where we're at now. Now here's what I want to say to all of us, is those spirits do not change. The people change. And those same spirits that was aggravating and carrying on in the 70s and moved into the 80s and moved into the 90s and into the 2000s and the 2-teens and now we're in the 220s, those same spirits that was fooling around with those people, they will try to get on you and they will try to get on me. And we have to be vigilant and sober and aware. Our church is moving toward a revival. You can can feel the momentum that's starting to go. It's starting to pick up. And again, in my mind, I'm wondering what, what, what could happen if we didn't have to deal with COVID? But we're moving in a direction and all of you and I, we have got to be in a position of apostolic authority. 
That's gonna come with prayer. It's gonna come with fasting. It's gonna come with an understanding of the word of God. And God is gonna use you. He's gonna use me. And we're moving forward. But it's crucial that we keep in mind that we make sure that there is a purity of mind that understands the pressure of temptation and moves away from it. There's a purity that understands fleshly weakness and moves away from it. There's a purity of mind that will avert the eyes and will lean on Scripture. Because you have to have the ability to lay your hands on people and pray for them whenever Brother Patterson and I are not around. Because we are at the end. And it is important that whatever gift that the Lord has given to you, and I'm talking about beyond the initial conversion of the Holy Ghost, that in this local church, that we quit looking beyond these walls and start thinking about, you know, if I was just like such and so, then God could use me. We've got to get that out of our minds and start realizing that God needs to use you and me in this church in the way that he wants to use us. Now, I... I want you to, here's something else uh, about our mind, and I'll conclude with this one. Luke 24, 45, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples on the Emmaus road. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. The Lord wants our mind to be sensitive to teaching. If you do not have a teachable spirit, you will be locked up into a place of spiritual immaturity for the rest of your life. There, there, there will never be a place where, and you kind of you, you heard that story about they put those fleas in that in that little little glass jar and they screwed the top on, and those fleas jumped and jumped and jumped and kept bumping their head on the on the lid. And then finally he left them in there for about a week and they took the lid off and those fleas could never jump out of that jar because they'd hit their head so many times on the lid. That's what spiritual immaturity looks like. You keep hitting your head on the lid, keep hitting, and there's never a part to be able to break out of that. You know why? It's because the spirit couldn't be taught. A teachable attitude that is open to learning. A responsiveness is going to be a spiritual quality that longs to move you and I into a place of greater spiritual maturity. That's why I don't ever buy in to the lie and say, this is where I'm always going to be. This is just how I am. My mama was like this. My daddy was like this. My grandpa was like this. I was just born in this. I'm stuck. Don't ever believe that. God wants to do powerful things with us. A sensitive mind looks with an openness to understanding of the word. A sensitive mind is willing to meditate, 
to muse, to take much time in thinking about the word and then prayer becomes a practice that causes me to be sensitive to what God is doing. Now, you've heard this statement before, and I'm going to conclude with this. Why don't you turn with me to, to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's, I'll tell you what, let's start in Ephesians 4, and let's look in Ephesians 4, and I want you to start with me in verse 22. And then we'll turn to Ephesians 6 but right before we conclude. You, you, you have heard this statement before that there needs to be a prayer of confession. Most of us have heard that. And here's what we do with that. A lot of times when you hear somebody say, we need to pray a prayer of confession, their mind immediately leaps to the place that they're going toward repentance of some sin. Is that not a fair statement we think about confession and prayer we think about I'm confessing sin but there is far more to confession than you just confessing your sin look with me to verse 22 of Ephesians 4 that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, if I'm going to turn that into a prayer of confession, how do I make that a prayer of confession? Here's what I tell the Lord in my prayer. Lord, I'm going to put off the former lifestyle of the man that I was before my conversion. If there were actions and attitudes and, and sins and things that I participated in, I'm moving away from that. And then you go on and you say, Lord, I am going to be renewed in the spirit of my mind. And I am confessing to you, I'm putting on that new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Lord, the goal of my life is to not have a lot of money, is to not have all the things that the world wants. But I am confessing to you that I am going to pursue righteousness and true holiness. Turn over to, to chapter 6. Chapter 6, and this is a common, we've read this thousands of times in this church. Look in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, if you're going to pray that as a prayer of confession, here's what you're going to do. You're going to tell the Lord, Lord, I'm going to be strong in the power of your might. I'm not going to lean on my own, as the psalmist said, in my own arm of flesh. There, there, there's no strength in that. And so a prayer of confession is, is that I am going to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, how many of you has got a Thompson chain? Okay. You see out to the side there, 359? 
You see that number? Not very many feeble tops and chains. Okay, what, what is 359? 359 moves us back to the topic of be strong. So whenever I turn in the back to 359, here, here is what I find. I find a bunch of scriptures that are not, <laughs> I was hoping they were going to be listed out for me, but there are a lot of scriptures there that are exhortations for me to be engaged in, to be strong. 1 Kings 2.2, 2, 2 Chronicles 15.7, Isaiah 35.4, Haggai 2.4, Zechariah 8.9, 1 Corinthians 16.13. That's a very good one. Ephesians 6.10, 2 Timothy 2 and 1. Now here's what you do. You say, well, man, I, I don't have time to do. If you run those references down and you've got your Bible and you're praying, and you start turning. Look at 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And look in verse 13. And this is a this is a prayer you can pray. Watch you stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. And so you start saying, Lord, I'm going to watch. I'm going to stand fast in my faith. I am going to be strong. That's a prayer of confession. Look, look with me. Let's go back to uh, chapter 6 of Ephesians and verse 11. I'm talking about prayers of confession. Give me five minutes and I'll be done. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And you tell the Lord that, Lord, I am putting on your complete armor so that I am going to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word there, wiles, the Greek word there is methodia. It can be changed into schemes, so we know there's wiles, there's schemes, there's methods of the devil. And Paul elaborates, I'm not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. So Lord, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm putting on that armor and I am going to pray against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. How do I do that? That I'm going to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins wrapped about with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness or holiness. Put on the shoes of the gospel of peace and above all, take the shield of faith so that you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Do you see what's taking place here? You are praying a prayer of confession and you're saying every bit of that, I'm downloading this into my heart and into my life. You get into a place of prayer with an open Bible in front of you and start praying the word and confessing the word, trust me, the lust that you're battling with will disappear. All the grievances of the spirit that you have, they disappear. 
the envying, the jealousy, the malice, the wrath, all of those things, they have a way of dropping off of your heart and your spirit whenever you start praying 610, Lord, I'm gonna be strong in you and in the power of your might. And so there's prayers of confession that you pray. So what are we doing? We're talking about the fact about how that our minds put on your helmet. Get your mind ready because the Lord needs minds that are clear and active and vigilant and sober in this generation. I want to pray for you. Our Lord Jesus Christ, I sense your presence. I sense, Lord, the liberty and the authority of your word. I pray, Lord, tonight that this word would be mixed with faith. And, Lord, that we would walk out of this sanctuary. And the things, Lord, that have been taught here tonight, that, God, that they find good ground. I pray, Lord, that God, the people that are here and even those that are not able to be here, that, Lord, the obstacles and the, the, the opposition, Lord, that may be coming against them. I pray, God, tonight that you give them great strength and liberty and authority to be able to step against those things. Let our minds be pure. Let our minds be lowly. Let them be humble. Help us, God, to be teachable. I pray, Lord, tonight that you help every one of us to do the will and to fulfill the purpose for which you have called us to. I ask you, Lord, tonight, and I pray this, God, for this church multiple times, that you meet every physical, every spiritual, every mental and material need, Lord, that we have. Help us, Lord, to walk in the confidence and the strength, Lord, of your faith. And help us, God, to finish this race, Lord, that you have set us on. Let there be endurance that comes to every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.